0: Hi, welcome to the Times of Israel's Daily Briefing. It is Thursday, February 22nd, and I'm Jessica Steinberg. I am speaking today with Zman Yisrael, Editor-in-Chief Birani Gorin, and Health Editor Renee Gertzand. Hi, good morning to you both.
1: Good morning, Jessica. Hi, Jessica.
0: Hey there. It is day 139 of the war. This morning, a man in his 20s was killed and another eight were wounded in a terror shooting attack near Maale Adumim. Three terrorists armed with assault rifles, makeshift submachine guns, and a grenade fired on Israelis waiting in traffic while heading to Jerusalem. It was a few hundred meters before the checkpoint. Two of the terrorists were shot by security forces and armed civilians at the scene. The third fled and was neutralized shortly after. Our live blog will update throughout the day about the status of those injured. In other news, War Cabinet Minister Benny Gantz said last night that he sees signs of progress on the hostage deal, while also warning of the looming Rafah operation in Gaza during Ramadan next month. We will talk about all of that, as well as the expected number of PTSD cases in the wake of the October 7th attacks and the continuing war and the IDF's RAM-2 units at Israeli hospitals for wounded soldiers. All of that after a quick break. Do you or your clients have a commercial collection matter that's going nowhere? The Saratchuk Law Firm specializes in the most challenging collection matters, whether it is a single matter or a portfolio of cases. They are based in New York with relationships around the world. Sarachek's proprietary databases and tried and proven methods have earned them an unmatched reputation for success in getting their clients what they're owed. They work on a contingency fee basis, so they're only compensated when they succeed. The Sarachek Law Team strongly supports Israel. You can reach the Sarachek team at www.saracheklawfirm.com. That's S-A-R-A-C-H-E-K lawfirm.com or at 646-403-9775. The proceeding is an attorney advertisement and past results are no guarantee of future performance. Okay, Bira, let's talk about this quote-unquote new hostage deal and what it looks like. Fill us in please
1: yeah for the past several weeks um we've we've heard primarily through you know third party leaks uh whether it's from uh saudi arabia or or egypt uh we've we've heard about progress in in the negotiations and it's been a bit of a roller coaster one day you know we'd hear there's progress another day we'd hear there's a snag but this is the first time yesterday that we had somebody from the Israeli government get up and say, there's progress. you know. So that's a really, really important sign because there hasn't been any, any notion of something to be optimistic about with regards to how Israel views it. Um, in fact, there's been quite a bit of criticism among, especially among the families of the hostages, Uh, that perhaps Israel is is dragging its feet, that perhaps Netanyahu, for whatever reason, you know, is is not in favor of the deal as it is panning out, so therefore it will not work out. Um, And the clock has kept ticking. Uh, There was a notion that this has to be done before the month of Ramadan, the Arab holiday, uh, begins on March 10th. So um, everything combined just gave a very uh, bleak feeling Feeling that this isn't going to happen, and then yesterday, Gantz, um, you know, calls for a, a press conference, his first in quite a while, I have to say, um, and he says that there's a there's hope, there's a deal in place now. What we know, again, from you know from leaks and third party quotes, um, what we know is that the. Terrorist organization that Hamas is now willing to um, willing to come down on his demands with regards to two issues that have been a roadblock in in those uh, discussions. One is the complete stop of, of fighting in 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 Gaza that the army um, campaign will will end uh, altogether. So that uh, he's backing off. Apparently, uh, from requiring um, he'll he'll make do with a ceasefire, and the second one is how many Palestinian terrorists held in Israeli prisons will be freed uh, in favor of the 134 or however many he was willing to to free. So what we know is that initially. Hamas wanted a, a really big number, which was essentially one per 10. So for every Israeli hostage freed, he wanted 10 uh, terrorists prisoners, uh, released from Israeli prison. Israel said no way. It wanted to stick by the initial key that took place in the first release of the hostage, uh, deal in November, which was one hostage per three prisoners. So there's, a, there's some talk that it's going to end up with being something like one per five, but I don't know. It's a step forward. Uh, certainly, something uh, perhaps to be more optimistic about.
0: Okay, but then of course we had last week we had Netanyahu saying deals are off, and then last night it was Benny Gantz, who's a member of the war cabinet. He was the one who announced this, and that seemed confusing. Why? Why was it? What's your thought about that? That it was that it was uh, Gantz. Yeah, I think that's actually a very important point. There's an
1: interesting and perhaps not surprising dynamics in the uh, war cabinet going on right now. You know, Benny Gantz and his partner, uh, Gadi Eisenkot, uh, joined uh, from the opposition. They joined the government uh, a week after the October 7th massacre uh, in, in a sense that There was a need for unity uh, in going into this war, the decisions in this war. In fact, that was what Netanyahu said, those decisions needed to be taken uh, in in unison uh, from both uh, sides of the political aisle. So they joined joined the cabinet, and we know that initially this was a very successful uh, partnership. I mean, decisions were... Taken uh, by Prime Minister Netanyahu, Gantz, Eisenkot, and of course Defense Minister Yoav Gallant, they were taken in, in consensus. There, there was—I'm sure there were arguments. I'm sure there were things that didn't are, agree on, but eventually every decision that was made was made in consensus. And then things started breaking apart. Um, there's a lot of political tension and and uh, different viewpoints on on how things are going. And Netanyahu has. I think, amassed a certain self-confidence, which he perhaps... A little bit lacked after the uh, the surprise of the October Seven massacre, so he's a bit also back to his old self, if you will, of preferring to make decisions alone, of of thinking that he's better in in judging the situation than anyone else, and also you know having um, having a completely different viewpoint on the situation than Gantz and and Eisenkot, and we know that for the past couple of months they did. Did not see eye to eye, especially with regards to how to handle the hostages negotiations. So we found out a week ago that Netanyahu made decisions without them. He, he initially sent uh, the head of Mossad, David Barnea. And the head of Shin Bet, Ronen he sent them to Cairo for the negotiations deal, and then told them to come back the same the same day, and wouldn't send another uh, negotiation team. Uh, and that he did all those he made all those decisions without talking to Gantz and Eisenkot. So I think they were very very angry about this. I think Gantz's decision to go out and make up a, a, this declaration yesterday in the press conference. I think that's a sign for us, for us that he wants to make sure that we know there's an option on the table, that we know and in a way almost, um, push Netanyahu to the wall so he won't be able to, to not make a decision over the, on this. So he won't be able to, to, to not actually discuss it. So this is Gantz saying, guys, just so you know, Something's happening. It's on the table. Follow this and make sure that Netanyahu follows this through.
0: Okay. All right. That's helpful. Thanks a lot, Bira, for that. We're going to take a quick break. When we're back, Renee will uh, talk to us about some of the health issues that are, of course, ongoing. Uh, give us a moment. The world we live in isn't perfect, but it doesn't get better on its own. That's where the work of activists comes in. Whether it's environmental justice, animal rights, or disability advocacy, there are people all around the world striving to make it a better place. That's where All About Change comes in. Host Jay Ruderman talks with activists about how they do what they do and what inspires them to keep going. Because activism is all about change. Listen to All About Change wherever you get your podcasts. Renee, you've got a piece on the site right now that is talking about a prediction of 30,000 new cases of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, among Israelis as a result of the current war with Hamas in Gaza. And that, you wrote, is considered a conservative estimate. Fill us in a little bit, please.
2: Yes, so the... um conservative, as you said, conservative estimate of 30,000 was given to me by Professor Yair Bar Chaim, who I had a very interesting conversation with. He is the director of the National Center for Traumatic Stress and Resilience at Tel Aviv University. It's a new center that was in the planning, but um, because of the situation, because of war breaking out, they um, opened part of the center uh, as quickly as as they could on January 1st. Um, the in our conversation we discussed about how unprepared the Israeli health system is to absorb so many people with PTSD, um, and how this is going to be an ongoing issue for the country. He predicts it to be an ongoing issue for the country for at least three decades. That those are being who are being affected now are going to be dealing with this for 30 years or more. Um, And the absorption of at least 30,000 new cases of PTSD will be on top of 60,000 already existing cases. So, we're talking about a a huge number. Um, The good news, I want to just remind people of the good news, which is that you know, although much of Israel, I mean, hundreds of thousands of us were walking around with acute stress after October 7th, um, that only 10% of us, according to research, will develop PTSD. So, that's the good news. Um, This this new center uh, will probably be able to address 10% of those who need help. Um, it's a special center because it's not only about treating people in a clinic, but also it will conduct high-level research. Um, it will also conduct training for uh, psychologists and social workers to treat people with PTSD and also advise the government on policy. There are many different initiatives now to try to accommodate all these new cases and um, and in particular, train um, clinical social workers and psychologists to treat PTSD. Because despite our reputation uh, for knowledge about how to treat PTSD, there really aren't that many practitioners of of the treatments. Um, So, that is really important. And um, PTSD is not an easy condition to treat, unlike anxiety and depression, which uh, gen- in those uh, conditions, we generally see about a seventy percent uh, success rate in treatment, whether it's uh, therapy and or and or medications. With PTSD, we know that at least at this point, uh, it does not respond to drugs and uh, to you know drug therapy, and only forty There's only a forty percent positive response on a good day to uh, different therapies that are tried. So a lot of work needs to be done in this area, and we'll see what happens.
0: Okay. All right. Thanks for that, Renee. You also wrote about the Army's RAM-2 units. That's R-A-M-2, number two units. Caring for injured soldiers, Israel does not have military hospitals, separate military hospitals. So all injured and sick soldiers are treated in these RAM-2 units at all major hospitals. Tell us more about it. So as you said, RAM2
2: is an IDF, it's it's a unit within the IDF Medical Corps. And I thought it was important to write about it because not that many people know that this unit exists and that it does a very important job. Its role is to basically um, take over the care of the soldier in everything except for the actual medical care. They don't, the, the doctors and nurses, etc., in the hospital do the medical care. But every other aspect of care that this and attention that this soldier and their family needs is taken care of by uh, soldiers in this unit. Um, there, everything from finding accommodation for the parents and the you know the family if they come from far and need to stay near the hospital to if a soldier needs a toothbrush. I mean, really technical things, but then also being there emotionally for the parents and also ma- and making sure and and this and the soldier and making sure that the hospital staff. Uh, communicates well with the the family and the soldier. So on one hand, the Rammstein soldiers are an interface between the soldier and their family and the hospital. And then on the other hand, the interface is with the army, because the army needs to know the status of the soldier, uh, how they're doing, what the diagnosis is um and whether the soldier will be able to go back to their unit and what's interesting is this uh, an injured soldier is actually technically removed from their regular unit and is part of the Ramstein unit once they're in the hospital and then so the question at the end is will the soldier go back to their own unit or will Ramstein pass the responsibility for the soldier onto the defense ministry which would deal with um designating the soldiers having a disability, etc.
0: Ramstein, Ram two is for enlisted soldiers, I would assume.
2: It's for any member of the IDF who ends up being hospitalized. So if a soldier is brought in, whether it's a regular soldier or a reserve soldier who's brought in injured to the emergency room, for instance, and just gets some stitches and, you know, treated, goes back out, then Rammstein does not Take care of that soldier. It's for soldiers who are admitted to the hospital and have significant injuries. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. And if you actually are in the um, hospital departments, whether it's rehabilitation or the regular. Hospitalization wards. You see these soldiers walking around, doing their jobs, keeping track of all the soldiers and their needs. Um, and there's, uh, ev- there are many different sub categories of Rumstein sol- uh, soldiers. There are there's um, representatives of the IDF rabbinate, There are uh, representatives of the IDF um, mental health service. There's all different kinds of things to meet the needs of the soldiers and their families.
0: Uh, It's good that you wrote about this because something we keep on talking about on staff is that Given all the, the hostages and bereaved families uh, and soldiers who were killed, it has been hard to get to writing about the injured, to really diving into those stories. So this is sort of an opening, in, in a sense, to that and to the ongoing stories that we're seeing from that whole element of society of the many soldiers who were injured since October 7th. So glad that you wrote that, Renee. Thanks. We're going to close out this Daily Briefing. Uh, thank you, Renee, and thank you, Bier for being with me. It's been good to see you. Thanks, Jessica. Thank you, Jessica. Goodbye. Sure. And uh, thanks for listening to the Times of Israel Daily Briefing. Stay tuned for tomorrow. We'll have another one. And this episode was produced by the Podwaves. If you have comments about it or any other podcasts, please drop us an email at podcast at timesofisrael.com. We'd love to hear from you. Take care. Until next time, be well and have yourselves a good day. Thank you.